Merry Christmas. Um, this this is not going to be a real kind of Christmassy kind of message, um, but too bad. Sorry. Come come Christmas Eve. Um, let me get where I can have a little bit of room to move. I, I we're we're glad to be here, and it's good to be in church with you and with family and friends. And um, I mean, the only thing better for us than being in church here with you is. Uh, being in church here with you, with Jesus in the room, you know, and it's good to be here when when we know that He's here, He's moving here. David, He's He's moving here. It's good. So, um, I was thinking when I was preparing this message, and it's it's one that's been kind of on me for the last month or so, and and kind of everywhere I've been, uh, and every chance I've had to speak, which isn't isn't often. Uh, this is kind of the message that I give. So, and it's not it, it isn't really Christmassy. So. Um, I thought of Nancy Hutchins, who loves really corny jokes, and I thought I'd just give one good, in honor of Nancy Hutchins' corny joke. Nancy, this is for you, okay? This is as, this is as Christmas as it's going to get. So there's this family that has um, two these twin boys, and, and these twin boys have absolutely nothing in common. The only thing that they have in common is the fact that they look exactly alike, and that's where it ends. They're complete opposites. One likes when it's hot, the other one wants it cold, the music's too loud, you know, turn it up louder. The, I mean, it's just they're opposites in every single way. And so the dad is just getting frustrated. That one, one, one is, you know, the, the glass is half full, one is the glass is half empty. They're optimist, pessimist, and the dad's just getting frustrated. So he says, Christmas Eve, I'm going to do an experiment with these kids and see, see what's going to happen. So the pessimist kid gets up, and in his bedroom, wall-to-wall toys, top-to-bottom, every kind of toy you could ever have, this kid's got it in his bedroom when he wakes up. Oh, I mean, he's so excited. And in the optimist room, in his bedroom, he wakes up, and he has this gigantic, smelly, oozy pile of horse poo. And it's just there. And he's like, so the dad's kind of standing back and to see what happens. So he waits for a little bit, goes and looks in the pessimist room, and the kid's just in the sea of toys. And he's just like, dude, this is awful. I can't believe it. And the dad's like, what's going on? Man, I gave you every toy you could ever want. He's like, yeah, man, and now all my friends are going to be jealous of me. And, you know, the toys are going to break, and I'm going to have to go buy batteries. This is terrible. Then he goes and looks in the optimist room, and the kid's just in the pile of poo. And he's just dancing around and swimming in the poo, and he's like throwing it on the walls. And he's like, yes! And his dad's like, what's going on, buddy? What, what are you so excited about? He's like, dad, look, there's a big giant horse poo in here. There's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> so, that was All right. 2 Samuel chapter 23, that's where we're going. Old Testament. We've been doing a, 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 I've been doing an Old Testament Bible study with a group of guys on uh, St. Simon's, and, and so I've spent the last five months just swimming in the Old Testament. And, and I, a month or so ago, I landed on this verse in, in 2 Samuel. It was real obscure. And I read it in my version, probably most of your versions of the Bible, and it, and it said one thing. And, but on my, on my Blackberry, I've got, um, you know, 
a, a Bible deal that you click on. You can, what is it, you know, not software, but is it software? Bible software, something. You clicked on, but the one I downloaded was King James Version. So I was scrolling through looking at this passage, the same passage, and it says something different. So I want to I just kind of set the stage. Here's, here's what I want to say to you in, in one sentence. It's basically this. The way that God is going to make you into the, the man or the woman of God that he has destined you to be. Okay? The way that he is going to do that. For him to be able to do that in your life, there has to be preparation work that you're willing to endure. Before he, as he, before he, as he, during the process of him making you into the man or the woman of God that he wants you to be, during that, that lifetime of process, there has to be seasons of preparation time where he is preparing you for those moments. You know? and, and the difficulty for us is what, what is the moment and what is the time? You know, where, where do we find where, am I in this moment of preparation or am I in the moment of becoming? That's the difficulty, and there's, it's not really clear. I don't even have the, the sermon doesn't even have this answer for you. I'm just saying that for you to become that man or woman of God that he's destined you to be, you have to go through preparation time for that to happen, okay? And that's what this, that's what this passage is about. So I want to read the passage, and then we're going to go back and kind of get the context. It's um, 2 Samuel chapter 23, and we'll start in verse 20. This is this is a story, This is the kind of the chapter on David. King David has this group of men around him. That he, they call him his mighty men of valor. He has these this inner circle of the toughest, baddest, coolest, craziest warriors that are just around him. And here here's the story of one of those guys. Verse twenty. <clears throat> then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done mighty deeds, killed two sons of Ariel of Moab. Okay? Anybody have a different translation of that little section of verses? Does it say? Does anybody have a different translation of the two sons of Ariel of Moab? Two of Moab's best men? There it is right there. Say it really loud. Two lion-like men of Moab. That, that was, in, in mine it didn't have it. When I looked at it in the King James or maybe a different, it says lion-like men. So we're going to look at these lion-like men in a little bit. But look, keep going. He also went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day. Now, now folks... If you are in a battle with a lion, that's, that's a pretty tough day. If you've got to battle a lion and you're stuck in a pit with it, that is getting pretty rough. If you're in a pit with a lion and it's snowing on you, I don't know what you did to get there, but man, you're in Dubuque, Iowa or somewhere. I don't know, but that is bad news. So that's what happens. He's in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Verse 21. Then it changes direction. He killed an Egyptian, uh, an impressive man. Some, some translation, I think King James maybe even says, uh, a handsome man. He kills an Egyptian, a handsome man. But he went down to him with a club and snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah the son of Jehoiada did, 
and had his name, and had a name as well as the three mighty men. Okay? There, there it is. There's kind of the preparation work that's going to go on. We're going to look at kind of the life of, of Benaiah as much as, as much as we really know. Now let's get the context of what's going on here. Go back to verse 8. Okay? I'm going to, I'm going to read it's kind of a lengthy passage. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joseph Bashebeth, the Tachmanite, chief of the captains. He was called a dino. Of course he would be called a dino. If you've got the real name, Joseph Bashebeth, the Tachmanite, they're going to have to shorten that to something. You know, Tex or dude or a dino. Uh, the Esnite, because of, listen to what he did, because of 800 slain by him at one time. That's, that's him. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there to battle and the men of Israel had withdrawn. He arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword and the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to strip the slain. Now after him was Shammah, the son of Aji the Hararite, and the Philistines were gathered into a troop where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot, defended it, and struck the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Isn't that interesting that all these guys are doing all the fighting at the end of every one of those. And the Lord brought about a great victory. There's something, there's something significant in that. Verse 13. Then three of the thirty chief men went down and came to David in the harvest time to the cave of Adullam, while the troop of the Philistines was camping in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in the stronghold, while the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. David had... I, I just added that part. Um, verse 15. David had a craving. I just want to try to keep it Christmassy. David had a craving and said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Listen to what happens. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and they drew water from the well of, the, of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and they took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Jeriah, was the chief of the thirty. And he swung his spear against three hundred and killed them and had a name as well as the three. He was most honored of the thirty, therefore became their commander. However, he did not attain to, to the three. Then Benaiah, here we go, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done mighty deeds, killed two lion-like men of uh, Moab. He also went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day. He killed an Egyptian, an impressive man. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but went down to him with a club and snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah the son of Jehoiada did, Jehoiada did, and had a name as well as the three mighty men. He was honored among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David appointed him over his guard. He became kind of the... Uh, the secret service chief, you know, the, the guys that protect David. He was, the, he was the dude over everybody that protected David. Isn't that cool? Okay, we're going to look at these guys 
uh, real quick, really benign. So let's pray together. So Lord, we just pray you would uh, open up our hearts. Lord, our prayer earlier this morning was that the word would become flesh and dwell among us. And uh, Lord, that, that's Christmas. That's Christmas. And we don't have to wait till December 25th to celebrate flesh dwelling among us. And Lord, we, we, can, we have the, the gift of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, my, my prayer is, is the, it's in your word. It says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will you give the Holy Spirit to anybody who would just ask? And so, Lord, we're asking. We're asking, Lord, as best we know how, In this house, with a hundred folks in here, as best we know how, all different places in our life, different experiences, pain, suffering, joy, victory, wherever we are, Lord, we're asking for your Holy Spirit. Because we know, like a a good parent, you want to give us good, good things. And so, Lord, I pray that this word would become alive. It would sink deep in our bones. And uh, we could walk out of this church today and maybe this message isn't going to be for, for some of us in this place, but it is for somebody who maybe would never darken the door of Stonebridge Church or any church in this county. And we might be able to take the word who has become flesh in us and leave this place and impact the life of somebody during this season. And uh, so, Lord, would you speak clearly um, through me as best you can, Lord, and, and maybe in spite of me. Uh, and so I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've got some really good lessons that we can learn from this and from, from mighty men of valor, David's guys. Here's, here's the first thing I want to say. Before you, you're ever in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, the, the warrior has to be prepared for battle. If you wait until the, the time that you're in a pit, it's too late. If you wait until you get into the pit and go, okay, now I'm ready to prepare. Okay, tell me what the fight's on. And you've missed, you've missed it. And so you're going to have to take your shots and take your licks and, and get wounded and then hopefully come out on the other side of that thing and say, okay, what did, I, what did I learn from that? But if you're waiting until you're in the pit in order to prepare, it, it's too late. You've lost that moment. So how do you prepare? This is the one thing that, that, that Benaiah did. He surrounded himself with men who were better than he was. That's the first thing that I want, I want you to hear now. If you want to prepare, you want to be the man or woman of God that he's destined you to be, you must surround yourself with people that are better than you. You know what it takes to surround yourself with people that are better than you? It takes a big dose of humility. If you're not willing to say, okay, I want to hang out with a guy who can, I want want to play basketball with some guys that would just absolutely school me. That takes some humility. If you want to be proud, then you go and play with fourth graders. And then you'll get as good as most of the fourth graders that, that are really good. Yeah. But if you, if you really want to be humble, then you get into a room with some dudes that will just take you to school. And that's how you're going to grow and you're going to get better. You've got to get quicker. They'll steal the ball from you. They'll dunk on your face. Yeah. So you've got to be willing to surround yourself. Listen to the people that Benaiah was with. He was with, he was with guys that did lots of great exploits for God. But not just physical you know, athletic. They, they, were, they were men. These mighty men of valor weren't just men who could fight. They were men of character, and they were men of integrity. 
They were men of faith. They, they had faith. They trusted God. They trusted David, their leader. They were men who could really uh, discern. They were risk takers. They, they prayed. They, they were men who really were, were top-notch in so many different ways. And Benaiah was watching these guys do exploits for God. Don't you, ha- don't you know that Benaiah was watching this, listening to the stories of this guy that comes back from battle and he says, I, I, was, I was fighting these guys. Everybody had run. I was the one that was standing there by myself and I was exhausted. And I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden my hand began to just grip to the sword and it was like lock- It was like the sword and my hand were one and I, I, I didn't let it go. I, I couldn't let it go. And I was swinging this sword and I was killing people and protecting myself and protecting you, David. Don't you know that Benaiah was listening to that going, what? what happens there? You know what kind of men these men were? They were men that believed in the supernatural power of God. That he could do great things through me, through them, through us. And man, Benaiah was like, I, I want to I trust a God like that. It was, it was amazing for him to be around those kind, of, those kind of men. I mean, David decides one night in a cave, he's probably a little discouraged and he's thirsty, but he, they probably had water, but he just kind of speaks out this really just kind of passing thought, probably just out loud. Man, we all do that, don't we, you know? Man, I would love to have a drink from... What he was thinking was, water, water's water and it tastes good, but if I'm really thirsty, I'll drink anything. But what he was thinking was, I'd love to be home. I'd love to be in my hometown. Man, just to have a drink of water from that well would just really pacify me for a moment. And his, three of his boys say, let's go, let's go do it. You know? And so they go recon where the enemy have taken over Bethlehem and they just sneak around. Can you imagine the risk of having to go into the enemy camp for a glass of water for their king? And they return and they say, I mean, just picture it. They're just, the king's saying, you know what they are? They're loyal. They're loyal to each other. And they say, to my brother David, here. Where'd you get this, man? This is wa- No, this isn't just water, man. We went and got it from the well that you were talking about earlier. No way. And then David just, I can't, he just says, I can't drink this. The risk that you guys took to get that water, there's no way I could drink this. And he pours it out to the Lord. Do you know what that does to just infuse loyalty amongst the ranks, you know? Don't, don't, you, don't you know that where we are in, as a society today, we're losing that thread of loyalty to each other, to jobs, to churches, to everything. It's just like we always spin it to what is it really that's going to be beneficial to me? There's no, you know, if they, if they had that kind of attitude, they would have never risked going to get water for their boss. Loyalty. They were loyal men. And Benaiah said, they're loyal. I'm going to be loyal like those guys are loyal. They had a fellowship of sacrifice. Some of those guys, those 30 mighty men, they led thousands. Some of those guys led hundreds. Some of those guys didn't lead anybody. Now, this isn't the entire list of those mighty men. Some of those guys 
didn't lead anybody. They just were great fighters. And they knew their gifts set, and they got set up in their place where they could really be beneficial, and they did their thing. And Benaiah was surrounded by those guys. Now listen, what, is, what does that mean? I, that's why this isn't really kind of a Christmas message. We, we are living right now in, in a tough time. This is, this is an economy and a, and a season of our history here as a nation where it ain't like it always has been. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, think about this, guys. Young folks here, listen. You're going to have, they're going to write textbooks that, your children's children are going to read about and go, whoa, when things just collapsed back in 2008, like we read about the Great Depression when it hit in 29, 30, 30 when that, all that was, we, we're in that kind of season of, of existence now. We're, we're here. We're living in it. You know? And think about Christmas now in that kind of economic state. The, the great thing, you guys, is that the kingdom of God Aren't we thankful that the kingdom of God is not really dependent upon the economy of the United States of America? You know, and how it's going to advance. But there are millions, 400,000 folks in this county alone, I don't know how many of them who would never darken the door of a church that are sitting at home right now going, how am I going to feed my family? How am I going to buy my kids a Christmas present? You know, they're struggling. This is tough times. And we need to be in a place where you, you just can't, we can't afford to be put in a place where we are depending on the things that we probably have depended on in the, in the past. And some of that's going to take putting ourselves in places where people are going to impact us for deeper things. That's what, I'm, that's what I mean by that. Like, you know, what, what's the risk of you guys hanging out with people that pray more than you do. Why, why not do that in this kind of season? Just hang out with some people that you know. You hear about them. You see them praying. You come early to the service and pray in there, which I think some of you should, and come and pray for this service. And you, you kind of rub shoulders with some folks and say, hey, that guy, I think he's a praying man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet with him. I want to talk with him. You know, who pray more than you, who study scripture more than you, who, who know the Bible better than you. Put yourself in a place where those kinds of guys... Don't risk the, the, you know, your pride to say, I just don't know if I, if I hang out with them, they're going to find out that I, I, I don't know all 66 books of the Bible. I don't know where they are. And I'm going to feel like an idiot. Why, why, why do that? Hang out with some people that are going to make you better. Okay, second thing is this. He was prepared by a lesser, lesser battle. Benaiah was prepared by a lesser battle. This is the lion-like men part of this story. He gets into a battle with two guys that look like lions. They're, they're, they're kind of connecting the dots for us here. Before he got into a pit with a lion on a snowy day, he was in a battle with two guys that looked like lions. What does that mean? They look like David's got the, you know, they, David looks like a lion. He's got his hair. He could mess it up, moose it up, get it, you know, <laughs> freak him out. He's, he's intense. He, you know, whatever. I don't know. But, you know, think about these guys. They're intense dudes. And so they're lion-like men. And he gets in a battle and he wins that battle. You know, it's the same for David. Before David got into the ring with Goliath, 
if you read the story of little young David, what, what was preparing him for that battle? Anybody? Lions and bears. Before you ever risk getting into a battle with a giant, with a slingshot, you might want to prepare yourself by fighting some other smaller animals. And that's what, that's what David did. It's what Benaiah was doing. He prepared by the lesser battle. There is preparation and then there's the test. That is just the nature of life. We have preparation. You learn the material. Then you go to school and they give you an exam. And you take that exam. And if you're smart enough, they grade it and say, yes, you are qualified to go on to the next thing. If you don't pass that test, then you repeat the same grade again and again and again. Now, here's, here's the spiritual twist on that. We're raising a generation of Christians that love to do first grade Christianity over and over and over again. My kids love to go to first grade because they got all the new stuff. The new book bags and the new pencils and the new this and the new locker and the new friends and the new teachers and the new, hey. And it's just so fun. And then they're having to take some tests and they go to second grade. It gets a little more difficult. Do you see, you see where I'm going with this? You know, that we, we're raising a generation of Christians that say, man, I really just like to dabble my toe in the shallow end of Christianity. And when we're saying, no, come on out to the deeper water. It's more fun. It, it's a little scarier there. You can't see the bottom. I don't know. I, I, I like it in the kiddie pool. So prepare, prepare yourself with the lesser battles. Be faithful in the lesser battles. Be faithful with the small things, and God's going to do bigger things in you. That's second. Third. The third thing you see in this, as this story unfolds is that um, Satan really just doesn't play fair. <laughs> you know? I mean, you just call it what it is. He's just not going to play nice for you. If, if you're a threat. If you're a threat. If you position your life to really be a risk taker for God, and you're going to really say, I'm going to prepare. I'm going to run this race. I'm going to get my life in shape so that God is going to use me to do great exploits for Him. I want to be a man or a woman of valor, loyalty, and integrity. He's not going to play fair with you. You can expect him to try to rip your... Listen, he's going to try to kill you. You know, We, we, we throw out John 10.10 10 and we never really quote the whole verse. We, we, John 10.10, 10, one of the famous verses. I have come that you might have life and have it to the maximum. But that's not John 10.10. 10. What, what is John 10.10? 10? Bible whiz kids. Anybody? Can you give me the first part of John 10.10? 10? The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy you. you. You better own that part of that verse before you step into, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Because that's just the kiddie pool start, first grade, get into the game. You better, you better know the enemy's going to try to kill you. Steal everything from you, your family and your friends and your future. He's going, to try to, he's going to try to take your job to see what really you're about. And here's the, here's the crazy part of this. And this doesn't get taught in church much. Is that when those things start happening, when our economy crashes, before we left to come up here last, last week, just in, a, in the course of three days, 
four of our own personal friends that we know on St. Simon's Island call us to say, lost my job. Lost my job. I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a, I work in, a car, as a, in, in the car industry. I sell cars, and they're closing down the car, uh, this dealership. I'm out January 1st. Yeah. Four of those just in, our own, just in the last week. There's hundreds that we know. Literally hundreds of people that, that we run across with, they're out of jobs. You know? When that starts to happen, what's happening there is people are starting to go, what am, I really, what am I really trusting in here? And we start to hear people, I have conversations with people that go, are saying, I'm, uh, uh, they're trying to grasp a hold and cling onto this thing and go, oh my gosh. Uh. And then there's some people that we've talked to that are just like, this is, this is, an, this is a moment for us to really say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lean into God and trust Him here. I'm going to lean into God and trust Him with... I trust Him with so many things, but I don't know if I've really trusted Him with my job, with my, with my career, with my finances. You know? the, 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 the mom who's married and has kids and all that kind of stuff, and, and in a season like this where the husband says... I'm, I'm really having to buckle down in my job, and I'm really kind of stressed out. And then he comes home one day and says, I'm out. I'm packing my bags, and I'm gone. In that desperate, terrible, ungodly moment where that kind of stuff is starting to unfold, here's the crazy part, is that for some reason, God allows that stuff to happen. God allows it to happen. That, that's just, I, don't, I, I can't preach a sermon on why he allows those things to happen, but it's just a fact that he does. But the great news is, is that he uses that preparation time. He's getting people ready for the moment when finally the shoe drops and then you're in the pit with a lion on a snowy day. And then you've got to ask yourself, am I ready to fight? Am I ready to fight this battle? I, I, I don't have time to really unfold this whole story, but just quickly, the guy um, named Daryl Scott, whose daughter Rachel was killed at Columbine High School in 1999, I know him. I've gotten to be kind of friends with this guy. And he's come to the gathering place and spoken a few times. And we went to dinner, and I was talking to him, and I asked him a question. I said, when that happened and everything went chaos, not just in that moment, for, for that season of your life, you know, I can't even tell you the stories of his own children who were, were, were battling demonic forces post-Columbine shooting. Unbelievable stuff. I said, but let me ask you, Daryl, were you, when it happened, did you know immediately God's going to raise this thing up and use you to begin to impact millions of teenagers around this country? Or did you go into a deep depression and pit? and then come out of it on the other side. And he said, nobody has ever asked me that question. I've never had anybody ask me that question until you just asked it. He said, one year before this happened, I had a dream. And God said, next year is going to be the toughest year of your life. And all he said was, all, all Daryl said, God said to him was, get ready. That's all the information he got. And he said when, when it happened and he got the call and then he finds out his daughter was killed and his son, who was, who was both of his best, his best friends were next to him and they both got shot and his son didn't. You know? When all that was unfolding, he instantly knew this was it. This was it. This was it. God, was, God said, get ready for this. 
So there's this preparation that must take place before you get into the pit with a lion on a snowy day. And I, all I can tell you is it will happen. There is no one here who's immune. Whether you're, you're coasting through this economic deal that we're going through in the country and you're okay, awesome. Learn some things during this because your day is going to come when you're going to get into a pit with a lion and the enemy who doesn't play fair is going to say, I'm going to make it start snowing and then I'm going to see how their foundation is. What's your foundation? What, what, what's your foundation? What are you really standing on? Are you trusting in your marriage to save you? I'm not saying that it, that's not important. It is. But are, is that what you're really trusting in? The image of your healthy marriage? Are you trusting in your job? Are you trusting in your kids? That they're all successful and good and well-behaved and they get good grades and they go to college? Is that what you're trusting in? So Satan doesn't play fair. And then the last one is this. After a big victory... The battles will still be there, but they're going to be more subtle. You're still going to have to face battles. But if you'll, if you'll be faithful in the big one, they're still going to come around. There's going to be battles that you'll have to face, but they'll be more subtle. Isn't that interesting in this story that he kills the lion in a pit on a snowy day? Verse 21, and he also killed an Egyptian, an impressive man, the, a handsome man. My question is, why is that in there? Why did they have to put that? Who cares? Who cares that he's a good-looking dude from Egypt? Slick back hair, smells great, wears axe. You know, who cares? Here's the reason why that's significant. is because it's just he's, he can lull you to sleep with his impressiveness, with his handsomeness. You're not looking at him as a threat. And it says that he comes up and he has a spear in his hand. And Benaiah begins to talk with him. And if he's not careful, if he's not ready, if he's not on point, when the guy pulls a sword out, he's going to slit his throat. He's going to kill him. Why? Well, because Scripture says in John 10.10 that the enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy you. It also says in 1 Peter that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a what? Like a lion. Like a lion. He wants to pounce on you and kill you. But he doesn't always look like a lion. That's pretty easy to see. Sometimes he looks like a handsome Egyptian. Or a job. Or your bank account. Or whatever it is. But Benaiah was faithful and he took the guy's own spear out of his hand and he killed him with it. So, I love this verse in 1 Corinthians that says this. All of that that I've said to say this, land on this verse. I've got two of them that I want to close with. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Listen now. This is the Christmas part of no temptation has overtaken you. Listen now. There's no temptation that's overtaken you, but such is common to man. Everybody's wrestled with the same bear. But God is faithful. And, and listen, He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Isn't that good news? That He's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what your ability is to conquer it. But then it says, He will give you a way of escape. But God is faithful. He will not allow you 
to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, he will give you a way of escape, comma, and you will also be able to endure it. What, what, what that verse is saying is, and what this passage is saying in 2 Samuel is, the worst thing that you could ever do is run out of the pit. If God puts you into that pit to fight the battle, can I just encourage you, don't run from it. Because if you run from the opportunity to learn and grow and succeed and possibly even fail, you learn the moment where God's going to sharpen you and make you into the image of who he wants you to be like. And you know who that is? Jesus so don't, don't, don't run from the pit. I'm not saying wallow in the pit, but fight. Fight the battle. You know, take the chance. Pray for the Holy Spirit to come in there with you. Because no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. He's faithful. And in the midst of that temptation, he's going to give you the way of escape. He's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. He's going to give you the way of escape, and he's also going to give you a way to endure it. And then the last thing I'll say is this. This, this isn't in my notes, but as we were worshiping it, it landed on me. I love this passage of Scripture in uh, Hebrews 6. Uh, and one of the worship songs kind of triggered it in me. But listen, let me close with this, this passage, and then band, we'll, we'll worship a little bit. Uh, Hebrews 6, 19. Listen now. This hope that we have who is coming in just a few days, but really he's in the room with us right now. This hope that we have is an anchor for our soul. A hope that is both steadfast and sure. A hope that takes us within the veil, it says, where Jesus is. A hope that kind of opens the door and says, come on in here, come on in here, Let's, let me be with you. This hope that we have is an anchor for our soul. Your job might not be an anchor, it shouldn't be, your kids or your school or your marriage or your pastor or any of that, this hope that we have is not a thing, it's a person. It's an anchor for our soul, and it takes us within the veil where Jesus is. Isn't that good? Okay, y'all have a good Christmas. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that... Um,